0: Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. I'm your host and Bible guide, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to Genesis chapter 30. Now, before we start reading this chapter, we probably need to remember that sometimes the Bible prescribes things, meaning It tells us what to do, right? Honor your father and your mother, Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. These are prescriptions, right? These are things the Bible tells us to do. And then, of course, there are proscriptions, things the Bible tells us not to do. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. To proscribe is to talk about things we must not do. So the Bible prescribes and proscribes. But sometimes, in fact, a lot of the times, the Bible describes. That is, it just tells us what people did do. And it allows us and encourages us to come to appropriate conclusions. Such is the case with this chapter before us. This family is a mess. It's It's an absolute mess. There is so much going on here that should not be going on. And the Bible honestly describes it. It tells us what happens. And it shows us the consequences. And all of this is intended to get us to agree and believe and rest in the fact that God's ways are right and lead to life. Now, I can tell you that. I can prescribe the way of the Lord. I can denounce all the other options other than following the way of the Lord. I can proscribe those ways, or I can tell you a story. I can describe all of the mess and all of the chaos and all of the hurt that results from not trusting in the ways and word of the Lord. I can describe. And that's what's happening here. God is letting us look in on the first family of faith. And we get to see all of his wisdom and all of their foolishness. And we get to learn from their experiences. Remember, the Apostle Paul said that this is one of the main reasons we read the Bible. He said, 1 Corinthians 10, 6, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. He goes on to say in the same chapter, these things happened to them as an example But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So we're supposed to learn from these stories. We're supposed to learn things about the goodness of God's ways, the brokenness of our ways, and of course, always, our need for the salvation of God in Christ. With all that being said, hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. When Rachel saw... That she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. So Jacob has married two sisters. The Bible doesn't tell us that we should do that. In fact, the Bible tells us that we should not do that. In Leviticus 18 18, it says, You shall not take a woman as a rival wife to her sister. So the Bible proscribes what we are seeing described in this story. Don't do it, the Bible says. And this story illustrates why we shouldn't do it. We shouldn't do it because it creates jealousy and rivalry and insecurity. And from that, we learn something about marriage. We learn that marriage really only works when you feel safe in the affections, interest, and allegiance of your spouse. Now, by the way, that's one of the reasons why you shouldn't have sex before you get married. If you do, then your spouse is always going to feel compared to your previous partners. It's an act of love and kindness to save yourself for your future spouse. That will help him or her feel safe and unrivaled in your interest and affection. Verse 1 goes on to say, She said to Jacob, Give me children, or I shall die. So Rachel was infertile. Where have we seen that before? That is a constant theme in these patriarchal stories. Now, why is that? I think it's because there is no better way to teach a woman about faith than by withholding children. The Bible seems to be suggesting that a woman is inclined to find her identity in her children. How many of us would want to argue with that? And so God sometimes withholds children to teach a woman some important things. He he may do it to teach her that before she is a mother, she's a child of God. Her identity needs to start there. He may withhold children to teach her how to pray. He may withhold children to show her who really is in charge. God has a variety of things that he may wish to communicate, and he may often do that, Through things to which a woman is most attentive. Behold, God is exalted in his power. Who is a teacher like him? Verse 2 says, Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Now, it's worth noticing that everyone in the Bible recognizes the sovereignty of God over the issue of human fertility. And that may be why God is so often found communicating with people through the issue of human fertility. God communicates where people are listening. And there are few things that men and women are more attentive to than their kids or their inability to have kids. Verse 3 says, Then she said, Here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her, and Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, With mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. Again, remember that this is a description, not a prescription. It was very common in this culture for a man to have wives and concubines. A concubine was basically a wife. In fact, in verse 4, Bilhah is called Jacob's wife. And then in chapter 35, verse 22, she is called his concubine. So the words are almost interchangeable. In that culture, a concubine was a wife for whom the husband did not have to pay a bride price. She was basically a second-class wife. Again, this is what happened, but I think we will see as the story goes along why this is not a good practice to engage in. The other thing we see here is that the children born to Bilhah are technically considered the children of Rachel. The ESV doesn't translate verse 3 literally, It just explains the meaning. The Hebrew literally says, Here is my maid Bilhah. Consort with her that she may bear on my knees. That expression, bear on my knees, was a cultural idiom that meant that the children would be considered the children of Rachel. They would be adopted, we might say, and given the legal status as children of the first-class wife. Again, this story is messed up from start to finish. Verse 9 says, When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant, Zilpah, and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant, Zilpah, bore Jacob a son, and Leah said, Good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Leah's servant, Zilpah, bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, Happy am I, for women have called me happy so she called his name Asher. Here we see Leah competing with Rachel. All she had on Rachel was the fact that she was very fertile. So now later in life, when her fertility is starting to slow, she follows the path of Rachel and gives her maid as a concubine to Jacob so that she can keep pace with Rachel in terms of total children born. Again, This is why you should not marry sisters. This is why having more than one wife is a very bad thing. If you ever doubt that, come back and revisit this story. A woman needs to feel unrivaled to be at peace in her marriage. Now, by the way, husbands, you can make your wife feel rivaled without taking a concubine or marrying her sister. You can make your wife feel rivaled by commenting favorably on another woman's appearance. You can make your wife feel rivaled by having an opposite-sex friend at work that you talk to about things that you don't talk to your wife about. If you want peace in your home, if you want your wife to be at rest in your marriage, then do not create or in any way cherish rivals in your heart to the spouse that God has given you. That is one of the lessons we're supposed to learn from this passage. Verse 14 goes on to say, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come into me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. Here we see Rachel attempting to engage in superstition and magic. Many cultures believe that mandrakes had some sort of magical power with respect to fertility. So Rachel thinks that she can take this potion or eat this fruit and become pregnant. Now notice what happens. Leah becomes pregnant. God is teaching these women about where they should put their trust. Not in themselves. Not in their bodies not in their fertility, and definitely not in magic. They should trust in the Lord. Verse 19 says, And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me, because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterward, she bore a daughter, and called her name Dina. Now, we shouldn't assume that Dina was the first daughter that either of the women had. Daughters often weren't named in family trees because succession and property passed through the male line. Dina is mentioned because she figures prominently in a story we will be reading shortly. Verse 22 says, Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son, And said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. Did you hear that? God listened to her. God listened to Rachel, which means Rachel had been praying. That is what God wanted in the first place. After Rachel tried giving her servant to her husband, and after she tried magic, she prayed. And God gave. And now she is praying for another son. The lesson here is pretty obvious. Verse 25 says, As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Having completed the birth narratives now, the story shifts to the need for Jacob to return home in accordance with the promise that he had received back in Bethel. Verse 26 says, Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages, and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you, and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages." So my honesty will answer for me later, when you come to look into my wages with you. Every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, Good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, and every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and put them in charge of his sons and he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob. And Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. So Jacob, having completed his 14 years of service for his two wives, now brings up the fact that he's a free man and will be looking shortly to go home. Laban, who realizes that he has been blessed because of Jacob, suggests that he ought not to go home empty-handed. They ought to negotiate some new deal whereby Jacob can earn some wealth of his own. They agree that all of the black and spotted sheep that are born over the coming years will belong to Jacob, as well as the speckled or striped goats. Now, in that part of the world, sheep were normally white and goats were normally black, so Laban thought he was getting a good deal, and he tried to make it better by removing any dark or speckled breeding stock among the lambs, or any striped among the goats from the main herd. But Laban failed to account for the blessing of God. Verse 37 says, Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks towards the stripe, and all the black in the field of the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus, the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Now, there is no indication that Jacob's stick trick actually did anything. Derek Kidner says here, Clearly, God intervened to fulfill the hopes Jacob placed in the rods, using them as he used the arrows of Joash or the bones of Elisha as the means or the occasions of working miraculously. God knows that we are physical, tactile people, and so he often works through means. These means have no power in themselves. But if God is pleased to work in them, then they serve to focus our faith and expectations. So it is here. Thus, the man, Jacob, increased greatly and had large flocks and many possessions." God knows how to protect, preserve, promote, and prosper his people. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to Into the Word. If you're interested in additional resources or previous episodes and series, you can find those over the website at www.intotheword.ca. You can also check us out on Facebook, and I hope you do. We have a growing community of Bible readers over there, and we post daily encouragements and conversation starters. Hope to see you there. And I hope to see you again tomorrow right here for another episode of Into the Word.